Welcome back to the John D. Sperry Podcast, episode four. Today we're getting into chapter three. Chapter three advances the plot a little more. We get some some interaction between our protagonist and our antagonist, and it's a lot of fun. We get to really start seeing some of the tension start to build in this chapter. But first, the John D. Sperry Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobook, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development content in the world. For about 10 years, Audible has been my go-to for audiobooks, and now I get even more. When you sign up for Audible, every month you'll get one credit for a new title, plus two exclusive Audible originals, which, in my experience, are of the same high production quality as any audiobook you're going to find in the catalog. In fact, I recently downloaded a book called Zero G by Daniel Wells, and it's a middle-grade sci-fi adventure book. And it's perfect. It was the perfect book for one of the, for a car ride. We were traveling to, uh, I believe it was Los Angeles. We were traveling down there for a vacation, and we put this book on. And it was great because it was a full cast of actors. It had sound effects, great radio production value, and it was a great adventure and the quality was just fantastic, and my kids loved it uh, since we were in that car ride for quite a while. But Audible isn't just audiobooks. Members also get access to guided wellness programs, A-list comedy, theatrical performances, daily news digests like the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Wall Street Journal. You get all of that stuff, as well as guided meditation programs. And let's be honest, we're in this COVID-19 corona lockdown right now. We could all use some uh, guided meditation programs. So now is the perfect time to get your Audible subscription going. When you sign up for Audible right now, you're going to get your first month free, which is a free audiobook, two free Audible exclusives, access to all those news outlets, access to podcasts, comedies, um, theatrical performances. You get all of it, thousands of titles for free for the first month. And to do that, all you have to do is visit audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. Once again, to get that free month, visit audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast, okay? Take advantage of this right now. Visit audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast and get that trial going. And now, on to LAMP, Chapter 3. Chapter 3. That should do it, Lydon said excitedly as he set the relay melding gun back on the table. He gently but firmly closed the scalp access panel on the back of his new mecha's head and turned the positron scanner around. Let's light her up, he said, staring into an unmistakably eastern face. I have to say, father, she's beautiful, Zade said to Simic, who was scrutinizing the mecha's features from across the room. She's not bad, is she? Simic replied. When I don't have to worry about what's inside, I can do a fairly decent job on the outside. We already knew that, father, Zade replied with a wink and a smile, her right eye fluttering again. Ladin tapped a few times on his data mod. Okay, I'm interfaced with her positronic brain. Let's see if I can bring her to life. Make sure you've set her sensor palette to neutral. 
You don't want her trying to find her arms and legs when she wakes up. It might overload her web. Ah, right, Ladin said, then picked up the neutralizer and waved the device over the mecha's cerebral cortex. That should do it, he said, setting the device down on the bench. With all his fingers interlocked, he cracked every knuckle. Here goes nothing, Ladin said as he slid his index finger up the screen of his data mod to activate the mecha. Signs of activation could take upwards of 10 to 15 seconds depending on neural latency. Ladin's pathways were brand new, so he expected much better results. For the first few nerve-wracking seconds, nothing happened. Ladin looked at the eyes. When the lids fluttered twice, Zade had designed the eyes, they were an exotic jade green, she would be active. After five seconds, according to the chronometer on his mod, there was no fluttering. Another few seconds passed, still no flutter. They were dangerously close to the 10th second mark, and Ladin started to feel rather disappointed in himself. His heart began to sink. Two more seconds, still nothing. No mecha in his history had ever taken longer than 20 seconds to wake up. That mecha would have been scrapped before she had a chance to leave the workshop. Well, let's take a look at your startup process, Simic said at the 11th second mark, but as he started towards the machine, the luxurious eyelashes flapped once. Wait! Ladin said and held his breath. There, he said as the lashes fluttered two more times. He smiled ear to ear. Thirteen seconds, he said with a hint of disappointment. Simic approached the head and looked over Ladin's shoulder to examine the readout on his data mod. Yes, but everything seems to be normal, he muttered encouragingly. In fact, you're getting incredible efficiency between relays. Yeah, I guess I am, Ladin replied a little more heartened. That's based on your original design, you know. I just tweaked it a little. Simic smiled. Well, it looks pretty good. But you can't do this, he said, pointing to what looked like a loose pathway in the mecha's brain. Why not? You did it, Ladin replied in protest. I did it with Zade. She was never meant to work outside this dwelling. I'm not sure Malik will like that you have remote access to his mecha. He'll never even know, Simic, Ladin said pleadingly. He'll think it's a communication strand or auxiliary port. That's not illegal. Lots of mecha builders have them so they can upgrade software remotely. She's my first solo. I want to keep an eye on her, see how she does. You know what I mean. Simic looked over to his daughter and smiled warmly. I do know what you mean, he replied, as Zade smiled back with the perfect expression of love. But once you hand her over, she's no longer your property. It's illegal to have remote operating access to her. Uploading? Fine. But being able to download or even home a machine back to its maker? That could be seen as espionage. I would get rid of it, Simic said. Other than that, though, I'd say she's just about perfect, my boy. Good work. Ladin smiled at the compliment, and Zade winked at him with approval as Simic chimed back in. I mean it. Remove the remote pathway. It's illegal, he said with finality. Ladin rolled his eyes. Fine he replied with no intention at all of following his mentor's instructions. Malik sat looking at the signatures of the Afrique and Eastern delegates on his data screen. He had spent the last 15 days staring at them. He should have been elated at the first global accord between factions since before the Tellurides, but he couldn't be happy until he found the one person who could put his plan into action, a person he doubted even existed. Where is he, Vizier? Where's my genius jacker? I apologize, Mr. Malik, but there are few jackers still raiding the markets. 
The ones that are leave no traceable signature and have no usable net IP. They are crafty and highly intelligent. That's exactly who I need, Vizier. I need a crafty, intelligent jacker who can't be caught. Not one of these market hacks. The soft chimes sounded from the palace's primary security checkpoint, and Malik switched his data mod to a view of Kasim, his head of security. Malik pressed the comm button. What is it, Kasim? I'm kind of busy. You have a delivery, sir. A mecha crate. He has an invoice addressed specifically to you. Malik suddenly began nodding his approval as he looked at the digital calendar readout on his mod. He's early, Malik said. That's good. At least the mecha builders in this town are still reliable. Where would you like it sent, Mr. Malik, and how are we handling payment? Pay him the standard build rate and tell him he'll get the bonus after I've examined it. Yes, sir. Vizier, have that thing sent to the lab once it arrives. Yes, Mr. Malik, Vizier replied. Then Kasim's voice came back on the line. Sir, the builder is rather insistent on delivering the mecha himself. What should I tell him? Malik growled into his throat. Tell him if he wants full payment, he's to... Malik looked at the security screen and paused when instead of an old mecha builder, a relic of another age, he saw a kid dressed in tattered robes standing next to the crate. The boy couldn't have been more than 16 years old, tall but lean. His robes and scarf were filthy, and he had the exact appearance of a person who spent his days in the shadows. Vizier, who is this? Malik said, pointing to the image of the boy on the screen. Is he a courier? Vizier didn't answer for a good three seconds, an absolute eternity for artificial intelligence. Facial recognition is only 60% based on age projection, but it seems that he is Ladin Shahara of Bag City. Ladin Shahara? Malik said with distinct recognition. What's his background? He's the son of Ladin and Jada Shahara, both killed more than 10 years ago in a transport accident when the boy was six years old. Vizier continued, but Malik wasn't listening. He already knew the story. A hover freighter lost altitude and crashed into downtown Bag City. Both parents and 212 other citizens were killed. It is also assumed that the boy's only other relative, a grandfather, Dr. T.S. Shahara, a deputy technology minister, was also among the dead. Malik was quiet as he stared at Ladin's image. He lit up a cigar and took a puff. Shahara's boy survived, Malik said as he exhaled vapor through his mouth a satisfied grin appearing on his face. What's his aptitude? he asked. Off the chart elementary marks in reasoning and mathematics. We have no secondary results as he didn't finish his formal education. He ran away from the orphanage at the age of 10. I assume he's been off the grid ever since. That is correct, replied Vizier. Was his aptitude in computer programming by any chance? Yes, replied Vizier. His mother was Telluride. Malik said, the wheels of a plan already spinning in his brain. A beautiful Telluride, if I remember correctly, he added with another puff of smoke. Yes, answered Vizier. His mother was the daughter of a Telluride diplomat. Malik's eyebrows raised as he puffed again on his cigar. Despite his hatred for the aliens that controlled his life, he had always had an affinity for the beauty of their women. Sir, came Kasim's voice again over the comm. What should I tell him? Show him up, Kasim responded Malik. This should be ironic, to say the least. The top floor of the palace was twenty stories high and looked out over Bag City. A sea of monochromatic beige dwellings sprawled out toward the desert like a reluctant tide. Ladin could literally see Simic's street from the waiting room window. With a hiss of compressed air, a door opened on the opposite side of the room. Ladin, my boy, 
Malik said exuberantly as he came out of his office. Something in Leiden twitched uncomfortably when Malik said his name with such familiarity. Sultan Malik, it's a pleasure to... Laden reached his hand out and noticed the red and green stains of various mecha fluids and grease on it. He tried to wipe it off onto his robe, embarrassed by his thoughtlessness to his appearance. Don't worry about it, son. I'm a working man myself. I may be the sultan, but I spent my time in the refineries. He raised his hand, and Laden apprehensively grasped it. Laden kept an eye on Malik. He didn't trust the man, but then he didn't trust anybody. So what is it you wanted to show me that was so urgent, my boy? Malik's expression remained uncomfortably positive. Ladin swallowed hard. It's her brain, Ladin started. She thinks differently than other mechas. She learns faster. I think you'll be very satisfied, Sultan. All I wanted was a protocol and language mecha for my dealings with the Eastern clans. You didn't need to go to any particular trouble. No, you're absolutely right, sir. I didn't need to. Then why did you? Malik asked, his face losing its overly friendly grin and assuming a more natural-looking grimace. Well, I... Ladin's eyes hit the floor. He suddenly felt his confidence begin to leak out of him like a punctured hydraulic chamber. What I mean, Sultan, is that I found a way to speed up her processes by combining a quad-processing nerve core to the positronic web that makes up her cerebral pathways and... Slow down, kid. I'm sold. Ladin exhaled with relief and looked at Malik. I just don't understand why you needed to come up here and show it to me, Malik said, putting his hands in his suit pockets. Beads of sweat started to form on Ladin's forehead. I, uh, just, uh... You see, the reason I ask is because I think you're trying to subvert your master's authority, Malik said, placing his cigar between his lips, his eyes narrowing on Ladin. Ladin said nothing. I think you're trying to undermine the mecha builder you work for by using his machines, then programming the neural web with your streetjacker library of hacks and inventions so that you can, I don't know, spy on me? Am I wrong? Ladin's palms began to sweat. His throat went instantly dry. His first words in response cracked as they came out. No, I uh, would never do anything like that. I just wanted to help Simic out. He's old and tired. Malik's eyebrows raised at Simic's name before narrowing back on Ladin. But you are a streetjacker. Nervousness turned to anger. I used to be, but I don't do that anymore, Ladin responded with gritted teeth. And tell me, streetjacker, when I find poached parts in her or your streetjacker spying protocols in her firmware, what do you think I will do then? You say you wanted to help Simic, but when you skip out and he goes to prison, what will you do then? There's none of that stuff in her, Ladin all but shouted with bald fists. She's new, all of her. There isn't a poached, scavenged, or salvaged bit of anything inside her. We even grew the skin organically. She's 100% brand new, and I would never skip out on Simic. He's my friend, and I'm his, Ladin said firmly, not noticing he was taking small steps towards Malik as he spoke. By the time he had finished, his nostrils were flaring, and he had quite forgotten to whom he was speaking. Malik exhaled a cloud of vapor toward the ceiling, then moved his face close to Ladin's. Then you better pray I'm satisfied, or those credits you just received won't be worth a handful of the desert you see out these windows. Ladin leaned away, his rage effectively tempered. Malik turned back toward his office. Vizier, have the crate delivered to the lab. Let's see if Mr. Shahara has given us a usable mecha. Oh, and show our street dragger friend out. Yes, Mr. Malik, Vizier answered as the brooding and suddenly terrifying man disappeared through a sliding door. Ladin stood in disbelief, his fists bald, his eyes wide, wondering what had just happened. 
that was chapter three. Chapter three is is really compelling, and we're starting to get into the tension. We're getting into the conflict here because we finally have our first interaction between Ladin, the protagonist, and Malik, the antagonist. And I don't, I mean, <laughs> I wanted this first encounter to not disappoint. I wanted it to bring out personality traits in each one of these characters that shows who they are and shows that those character traits cannot be subdued when in the presence of the other person. So we're going to get to that. Um, let's see, this chapter starts out with Ladin finishing up his mecha. Simic has promised him he can build the next mecha that's going to go to. Uh, he said Kasim, but they find out it's going to go to Malik. And Simic, we find out, is a bit of a softie. He gives in. He allows Aladdin to program this mecha, this android that's going to go to the Sultan. And in this opening scene, we see the mentor in Simic come out. We see that he's not just a gruff old man, that he is actually wanting to mentor this boy, wanting, wanting him, despite uh, his veiled better judgment, despite... Uh, what he thinks is uh, maybe a lost cause or alludes to it being a lost cause. He wants to help this boy better his life. And we see the encouragement that he gives Ladin as it doesn't seem to quite go right at first. And we see him give advice that can only come from real experience. There's that sequence at the end with the loose pathway in the Mecha's positronic brain. And Simic wants to make sure. He's like, Ladin, you can't do that. Um, you cannot have full remote access to your mecha, and that's what that loose pathway is going to be. You'll notice in this chapter, there's a lot of tech jargon. There's a lot of vocab words that come up. And again, I said this in, I believe, episode one. I think I talked about how I stole a lot of this. Because this universe has already been created. This whole aspect of building androids and how androids work, how they have positronic brains. And this positronic brain comes from Isaac Asimov, um, at least at least as far as I know. I haven't really done research on the positronic brain. And the research that I did do all came from Asimov, His the whole iRobot concept of this positronic brain. Um, so I stole all of that. I tried to, what I wanted to do here is I, I, I want to, because these androids are going to be so advanced, I sort of went the route of less robot and more sort of like like data from Star Trek. I wanted to have human characteristics, and you're going to hear in Chapter 4 how I take that a step further and I compare um, certain, like the ulnar vein and the, uh, the cerebral cortex and body parts, human body parts are being translated into mecha parts. So I wanted there to be this biological sort of uh, comparison to these mechas because they are very human like and we're going to we're going to find out a little bit more why in chapter 4 so I'm not going to go into that too much right now. So, we now have this experience this encounter where we go to Malik's palace and, and Ladin shows up at the door and he wants to bring the mecha up himself and talk to Malik himself. And Malik is suspicious for a couple of reasons already because when he looks at the monitor he sees a young boy. He does not see an old mecha builder. And the reason he's going to assume there's an old mecha builder is because it's been a while since mecha building was something that was lucrative in Bag City. We get that from how the clans develop all the technology. And you're going to hear more about that later in the book, why Simic is sort of um, 
a, a relic in the technological world of Bag City. So he's surprised when he sees a young person. And so and all sorts of alarms start going off of Malik's head. And he's like, okay, young person. Oh, maybe this is who I've been waiting for. This might be the street jacker I've been looking for. Look at that kid. He's wearing ratty clothes. This is my guy. If he's the one who actually built this Mecca, this might be the guy I'm looking for. And then he hears the name. We know that Laden's father was a diplomat for the for Bag City, which means if it was only 10 years ago, he would have known Malik. And so the Shahara name, the Laden Shahara name, is very familiar. And and Malik's response to that name. I mean, if if you were listening closely, you might have been able to see Malik, there was something there. It wasn't just a, oh hey, I recognize that name. There's there's more behind that. So he says, okay, let the kid come up. And he immediately applies the pressure. He he greets Laden. And then uh, they sort of cut through all the, the, the garbage. And he says, look, I know you're a street jacker. I know that you put some illegal stuff in this mecca. And I know that you're going to spy on me. And that's the whole purpose. And Laden starts to sweat knowing that, you know, he did everything legitimate on this thing. But he is a street jacker. And maybe there was something Malik knew about him. I mean, who really knows what's going on in Laden's head at this point? Uh, and so Malik is applying the pressure like a pro. And you get the impression that Malik has done this before. And if you want to make the inference, I'm just going to say it right out there. If you want to make the inference that Malik has done this with the other missing streetjackers that Zade referred to in chapter one, go ahead and make that inference because you're probably spot on. So Malik applies the pressure. And what happens here is that Laden does not back down, but Laden is nervous. And Malik, Malik presses a nerve that gets Laden all riled up, and uh, he sends Laden home with a threat. And the threat to Laden was obvious because it means that Simic does not get his money if this mecha comes back with a single bit of ill-gotten hardware or malicious or uh, uh, malicious software of any kind. And so, yeah, so he is just... He's sent packing, but he let Malik know who he was. And he let Malik know that he wasn't going to back down. And this had to look appealing to Malik. So that's that's the chapter. That is chapter three. That is really all there is to it. But what we get, so here's what we get. We get this first confrontation. We get this face-to-face with the protagonist and the antagonist, our hero, looking the bad guy in the eyes. And... I think that this is one of those elements in a story that you have to get to early. Because if you don't get to this early enough, you know, if Luke doesn't meet Darth Vader early enough, if if the if the good guy does not face the bad guy early enough, there's always going to be that mystery of what's going to happen. And I think maybe you build it up too much sometimes, and the outcome is less than... Uh, it doesn't meet expectations. So I didn't want to do that with this. I wanted them to meet early and to get that out of the way so they can get on with what's going to happen. And what you're going to find out is they have sort of uh, plans. Um, So that's going to get really interesting in the future. As far as characterization goes, and again, I'm a character guy. I love characters. I want you to want to root for somebody. Um, But as far as characterization goes, I think by this point, by chapter three, we're pretty well established with our hero, 
we we get a real good sense of who the villain is, what kind of guy he is. Probably not a lot of sympathy, no empathy whatsoever for humanity. We get the best friends, the tagalong. Uh, Zade is the tagalong. Um, and so we've almost fully established all those relationships. We know where everybody fits sort of on the chessboard. Um, but there are still a few missing pieces. And we're going to we're going to get to those missing pieces. And, and namely, right now, you have the sidekick is still missing, while Zade sort of fills that role. We're still really kind of missing the sidekick, and I'll explain why we're missing the sidekick in Chapter 4. And we're also missing the love interest. Um, and that might come to as a surprise to some of you. Um, maybe you thought Zade was the love interest. The thing is, this this book is going to end, and you're going to have questions. We're going to fill those those pieces in a little bit later. So that's really all I have to say about Chapter 3. There's not a whole lot to it, um, except we have this initial meeting. So if you have any questions, if you have anything you want to ask me about Chapter 3, about any of the chapters, or about the book in general, please visit johndsperry.com slash podcast. And there is a form there that you can fill out and ask me questions. I've been asked a lot of questions about this book. Um, it seems like every time somebody reads it, uh, especially my students, and these, these are 13-year-old kids, um, they'll read it and they'll be like, how did you even think of that? And so um, so I wanted to address that just a little bit, that how did you, that, 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 the sort of overarching how did you think of that aspect, um, because I have these things come to me all day long. Every time I see something, hear something, I hear a song. I see a commercial. I see something that happens across the street while I'm walking down the street or something. I have these these things come to me all the time, and everything seems like it's an inspiration for a story. Um, so I draw from real life, um, and I turn it into fantasy. I turn it into something spectacular. Um, I like uh, another aspect that you're going to find. There are some, some things that are in here that get pretty clever, I think. I mean, if I could toot my own horn, there are a couple little tiny things that I'm like, that's really clever. And with those things, I like to see those as sort of a puzzle where I know I want a certain element. Like, for example, there are elements in Aladdin, whether it's the 1001 Arabian Nights story or the Disney cartoon, that I definitely wanted to allude to. Uh, and, and so... I get, I get kind of clever and I, I'm proud of myself for the cleverness. So <laughs> don't blame me for being a little, uh, a little arrogant about that or a little egocentric about patting myself on the back there, but you'll, you'll get, we'll, we'll address the cleverness when we get to it. And so I see those as kind of a puzzle where I'm like, I want to allude to this thing right here because when somebody thinks of Aladdin, they think of that. And what the heck, I'll just say it, the magic carpet. Okay, the magic carpet is going to come into play in this story, but in this story, there's no magic. It's all technology. So you're gonna, we're going to get to that. And so I'm like, I want to address the magic carpet. How am I going to do that? And I see this as sort of a puzzle. And it's a puzzle that has a couple of moving parts. First of all, you have the direct allusion to the thing you want to talk about. And then you have the, how do I have that make sense in this world? And, and it's got to be logical. It's got to make sense. It can't just be thrown in there. And, you know, not have, not make any sense at all in the world. So that's what I like about this whole creative process of, of answering the question, how did you think of that? Sometimes it's pure inspiration from real life. Sometimes it's a puzzle that I wanted to solve, that I created and wanted to solve. For Malik, my inspiration, bad guys are, <laughs> bad guys are tricky. 
It seems like the hero in all these stories is always kind of the same. Underdog discovers they have an ability or a knowledge that they didn't realize they had, and they use that to overcome the impossible and defeat the bad guy. All these good guys are the same. You've got the Luke Skywalkers, the Harry Potters of the world, and they, and that's fine. And it seems like the only really deep characters in a lot of these stories are the bad guys. And I didn't exactly want that with Malak. I wanted Malak to be almost a, a, like I mentioned before in a different episode, I mentioned how I wanted him to be kind of a cartoon character or like a comic book villain. And comic book villains are almost as cookie cutter as comic book heroes. Um, There's always something that drove them to their insanity or drove them to their purpose. Um, And Malak is even less than that. Malak just, Malak was, was born into what he has. And he's a greedy, spoiled person. He was greedy. You you kind of get the the impression. Maybe he was a greedy, spoiled child that is now a greedy, spoiled, a middle-aged man in his 40s or 50s, whatever he is. But Ladin, I wanted Ladin to have that complex background, the Anakin Skywalker sort of background, um, where there's a mystery there that he doesn't even know the truth of and that we get to discover with him. So Ladin has a background. We know he was orphaned because of a car accident, but what happened between then and now, the 10 years from 6 to 16, We're going to discover that with him. And that's what I love about these characters. That's what I love to write into characters. That's what I love uh, to, I I love there to be a discovery element um, that we're not just in this with an obvious hero. We're in this to, to be a part of his life, to, to discover with him, his own past. And that, that sort of bonds the reader to the character. And so that's what I was going for. Anyway, that's all I have to say. I'm going to try to... I mentioned Patrick in episode three. I'm going to try to get him. Patrick is my buddy. Patrick is another writer like me. We've been writing together for 10 years. We bounce ideas off each other. I want you to get his take on writing in general. There are a lot of you out there who maybe have thought about writing a book who, oh, I could, I don't even know how to get started. So what I want to get in with Patrick is some of the discussions he and I have that take you from... I have this idea, let's put it on paper, all the way up to beta readers, peer review, and submitting a query letter, getting that letter to agents to see if they want to pick up your book. That's where we're at. We're we're trying to wade through this this deep ocean of of getting our our stuff published um, through a big publishing house with an agent. Um, So stay with me. We'll get Patrick on here in the next episode or two. Uh, He and I are actually planning on meeting in the next, uh, I think, this week. So stay tuned. I'll see if I can throw a mic in front of him, and we'll get his hot take on what we're doing. Remember, if you have any questions about the podcast, anything you want to ask me, visit johndsperry.com slash podcast. There's a form there. Fill it out. Go uh, ask me anything. Um, and I will treat it as an ask me anything. If you want to know my favorite color, if you want to know my, my inspiration for any of my, my writing, it's all out there. If you want to read it, um, please ask. So that being said, thanks for joining me for this episode of the John D. Sperry podcast, and we will see you next time. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio, found at Shutterstock.com. 
This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.